You're busy and you want the best for your kids. We're here to help. This is Hope and Will, a parenting podcast from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. As a pediatric emergency room doctor, Sarah Lazarus has had to share unthinkable news with parents time and time again, and it never gets easier. But what really keeps her up at night is seeing kids who've suffered preventable injuries, injuries like drownings, which is something Josie's family experienced firsthand back in 2018. Hi, I'm Lynn Smith, and welcome to Hope and Will, a parenting podcast from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, where we share real stories from real families, and clinical insight from pediatric specialists, many of whom are parents just like you. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Melissa, a mom whose life was changed forever when she found her daughter floating face down in a pool, and emergency medicine physician, Dr. Sarah Lazarus. Now, thankfully, Melissa is one of the lucky ones. Her story has a happy ending. Together, they're teaming up to remind you that this season for water safety vigilance is every month of the year. Melissa, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for being here. It takes a lot of vulnerability and bravery to retell this story. Even when I was reading about Josie and that moment in 2018 where you realized your worst nightmare is reality. As a mother, I was sick to my stomach. I was horrified for you. Just take me back to that moment in 2018 when you realized seconds, seconds of not having your eyes on your little girl meant that she drowned. Well, we were at my father-in-law's birthday party. He has a pool there. My husband and I have three older girls. And at the time, as they still are, they're like little mommies to her. So we had eyes everywhere on her. And she had on a puddle jumper. And after about two hours at the pool, we went inside. And I put her down to, she was about two and a half, almost three. I put her down to watch a movie, took off the pedal jumper, and I said, look, we're not going back swimming now. We're going to eat. It probably took me, you know, however long it takes to put macaroni and cheese and nuggets on a little toddler's plate. That's what I did. And in that time, she slipped out of the door and passed all of us. And I said, where's Josie? You know, I have her food ready. And they said, she's watching a movie. And I looked over and she wasn't there. And I looked to the door and the door was cracked to go out to the pool. And I yelled for my husband. He, he moved so quickly, got her out of the pool and she was gray. Her lips are gray, her hands, her nails, everything is just not white, just gray. It was, it was very scary. And we thought, or I'm thinking at that time, well, this is it. This is our new life. So, yeah. I read in your blog when you described that moment as you're screaming and and praying to God that he leaves her with you. And you make such a huge point to say this is a silent, silent experience. You had no warning. And, And Josie, we should mention, is the lucky one who did survive this thanks to CPR. And we'll talk about that and what the takeaway is for so many of the listeners right now. But you talk about how this is so silent and how it's so quick. Tell me about that. Yeah, we and we had all the safety measures in place that day. But 
there is no sound. Even when we found her in the water, she was just rolling. There was there is no sound of drowning. And the misconception is from TV and movies. When we see people drowning, they're just flailing and they're yelling for help. You're when you're drowning, your body's not instinct is not to scream or yell. It's just breathe. That's your first instinct that you're trying to do is just stay alive. You're not your body is not reacting to waving or yelling or or flailing around or kicking in the water. That it's just completely silent. You actually described Josie saying that she was screaming your name when she was drowning, right? She said a couple of days after, she said, um, when I was at Poppy's pool, I go down, down in the water and I call for you, but you won't come. <sighs> so <laughs> so I, I just think of her, you know, sinking and, you know, that trying to yell in the water. But here's the important part. One, she's alive. But two, you have Mm -hmm. eyeballs everywhere. You have two parents who are protective as can be. So what do you say to parents out there that think to themselves, I know this could happen to me. What should we do? Mm -hmm. It's the feeling of it won't happen to me because you are such the great parent. You know, I'm a wonderful parent. My neighbor is a great parent. But and as you said, we were doing everything right. There was an alarm on the door. We were and still are the best parents, but those type of accidents happen in seconds. Amount of time for you to go from the bottom floor of a mall to the top floor of a mall on the escalator. That's how quickly it happens. And parents don't realize, you know, looking down at your phone for 30 seconds, sending a text to your sister of, oh, look, the kids are at the pool and they're sinking and you don't even know it because it's silent. You know, I also think it's so important to point out, this doesn't just happen in the summertime. It's not just when it's warm out. This is something to think about all year round, all of the different scenarios you can find yourself in, not even if you have a pool in your backyard, but if your kids are at a play date or if there's a pool down the street that your kids may wander to. Mm -hmm. So you tell Josie's story specifically as a call to action for many parents, that you should do this one thing. Tell us about that. Get CPR certified. Because of all the people at the party that day and our little swan sinking to the bottom, nobody knew CPR. Because, like I said, we were the best parents. We thought it would never happen to us. You know, of course we watch our kid all the time at the pool. We're not going to need CPR. But Mm. if I hire a babysitter, the first question I'm going to ask is, are you CPR certified? So why wouldn't I be? Why wouldn't my husband be or grandma or grandpa? That is the main takeaway. The second main takeaway is CPR certification because swimming lessons are extremely important. Everybody needs to know how to swim because you're not going to be able to avoid water your whole life. but Swimming lessons are not going to save your child in the bathtub. How were you able to save Josie? My husband pulled her out because we were saying, you know, come back, come back. Don't leave us. Don't leave us. It felt like forever. It was probably 30 seconds. She started throwing up the water. But again, we didn't know what should we do. Do we lay her down? She's full of water. Are we supposed to lay her on the ground? Are we supposed to hold her upright? 
We had no idea because, again, not CPR certified. We had no clue of what to do. That's when we went to one hospital that was close to my father-in-law's. They said she has water on one lug that's completely full on one side. We need to get her to Children's either by helicopter or ambulance, whichever is faster. We get to Children's, and they do another x-ray. And you came in and said, we see your your x-ray. Her lung is full of water. They did the second x-ray, and they came. the doctor came in. And it was just myself and Josie at the time. My husband was out of the room talking with the family and friends. And, and she says, the thing that often is followed by terrible news, I don't know how to tell you this. Mm. But that day, it wasn't terrible news. It was just amazing news. She said, I don't know how to tell you this, but her lung is completely clear. Mm. She said, I've never seen this happen, so I can't explain how this has happened. So that's how Josie has survived. and That's just amazing. And how's she doing now? She loves swimming. <laughs> For about six months after, she was terrified of even the bathtub, water on her head. She would often bring up that, but I went down in Poppy's pool and I, mm-hmm. you didn't hear me. So I got her into swimming lessons, which was very hard. Um, she didn't want to do it and cried and cried and cried a lot. And now she's six and a half, and she was on her town swim team. <laughs> she's a really good swimmer. So my husband always says, maybe swimming is her thing. That could be her thing. So she, she is definitely a swimmer now. And her story is one that I have no doubt is going to continue to influence many of us parents who listen to your call to action of get CPR certified. It could be the difference of saving your child's life. Melissa Gibson, thank you so much for sharing Josie's story. Dr. Lazarus, thanks for being here. You know, we listen to Melissa's story and all of us as parents feel gutted of, oh my goodness, it could be us. Is there anything that stands out for water accidents that you've seen based on Josie's story? So Josie's story is super common when we hear about these kind of preventable injuries, which is kind of what we prefer to call it because it's, yes, it's accidental and it's not meant to happen, but it's also preventable. So we're very clear when we talk about what previously was referred to as accidents as preventable injuries because we all can do our best to prevent them. The most common thing is that most children that do drown or have a non-fatal drowning even we're not supposed to be at the pool at that time, or they thought that they weren't around the water when it happened. So that's that's a common thread, especially with toddlers. They aren't ready for playtime to end. They took off any sort of Coast Guard-approved life jacket that they had, and then all of a sudden, they're back in the water and the parents weren't aware. And, you know, she points out that Josie earlier on was wearing one of those puddle jumpers, so she felt safe. It was taken off once they went inside. But can you talk to me a little bit about should we feel secure if we have these puddle jumpers on our kids? So I think with any flotation device, it's just a layer of protection. It's not going to make your child drown proof. There's so many layers of protection that will help prevent it. And you are an emergency medicine physician, essentially an ER doctor. You see the worst of the worst, sadly. You've seen parents' unthinkable tragedies. Is there one that stands out to you that is maybe something that 
isn't what people would typically think of as a drowning. I think that the most common thread is there were so many people around and I didn't expect it to happen because everyone was there. We were all watching. There were 30 adults around the pool. And that is something that we see. And that the one that sticks out the most to me, that is what I think about. They were at a large pool party. The child was older. The child was not a swimmer, but they weren't comfortable sharing their level of swimming ability with other people. And there were people around that they didn't know that the child couldn't swim and the child got kind of pushed under a float. And there were all sorts of people, even a physician at the drowning and the child survived, but it was obviously really horrible and preventable. And something that you just don't even think about because you can't see it or hear it. And that's something we hear over and over again. This is silent. And there are a lot of myths out there. Like you can hear screaming and splashing because that's what it looks like in the movies. Can you debunk some of these myths that you've seen? Yeah. So drowning can happen very, very quickly, less than 30 seconds. And it is silent. It isn't what you see in the movies where someone is thrashing and, you know, kind of all over the place. In fact, I had a parent come in just this week with a child who had drowned, um, a 10-year-old. And the mom said, in retrospect, I should have known he was opening his mouth up and down and kind of slowly turning in a circle, but he was struggling, but didn't look like it. He was just kind of turning around. And in retrospect, it was so obvious, but I had no idea. And this isn't just in pools. We even heard Melissa talk about this, bathtub safety. Can you share some advice for parents who aren't even thinking about this? What, it's just like a foot of water? How can they drown in something like that? Yeah, children can drown in just inches of water. So definitely the most common cause of infant drowning under a year of age is typically bathtubs and kind of low-level water like that. A lot of times what I see with those drownings is that the child was bathing, an infant was bathing with an older sibling, and they expected the older sibling to kind of keep an eye on them. The older sibling often isn't much older, still a toddler or young preschooler, and they didn't realize that the child was slipped underwater, and when the parent gets back, the child is unresponsive or coughing, choking aspirated. And that is kind of the common thread on these bathtub drownings. And, you know, it's important to point out that there's also a myth that this only happens to bad parents. And, uh, you know, you feel like I'm a great parent. Of course, that's not going to happen. I'm just stepping away for 30 seconds to go grab a towel if they're in the bathtub or in the pool. Can you give us an idea of how important it is to reset our minds when it comes to this is not going to happen to me? There's so much guilt when it comes to these kind of events, and it is really important to parents not to blame themselves, but just to do everything we can to prevent this kind of thing. You know, it's such a juggle parenting right now, and I'm a mom too, so I totally get it. But just taking those few steps and realizing trying to implement those true layers of protection are just so important to prevent these drowning incidences from happening. I want to ask you about dry drowning because many of us probably have seen it in the news, but we don't really understand what that is. So dry drowning doesn't actually exist. So it's really important that we actually dispel that myth out there. So basically drowning is an evolution of a disease. So if a child were to go underwater and have significant difficulty breathing, aspiration, vomiting, then over the next six to 12 hours, they will develop respiratory distress. So when a child comes in after an aspiration or drowning event, a submersion event, we watch them for quite a period of time to see what they do. 
The dry drownings that we saw on social media were children that didn't seek care after an aspiration or submersion event. And then over the next six to 12 hours, they got sicker. So then people came up with this term delayed drowning or dry drowning, but that again, doesn't exist. This is an evolution of a disease. And as we kind of after the submersion is when we watch for the effects of the drowning and see if these children are going to get sicker and show more signs of fluid in their lungs. And seeking care is the most important thing. You know, you have Strong for Life there. It's a prevention arm at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And you talk about that you need to be within an arm's reach and an eye's reach. So what does that look like? Because we want to talk about prevention tips. Absolutely. So the biggest prevention tip, in our opinion, at Strong for Life is that if your child cannot swim at least 25 yards in the pool, you want to be within arm's reach of them. So that's your preschoolers, your toddlers. You want to be able to grab them at all times. And that's the same rule for a bathtub. So anytime you're around water, you need to be within arm's reach. And then once your child can swim confidently across the pool, then you can move to an eyes reach supervision. But we still recommend that you're able to keep your eyes on your child at all times, off cell phones, off talking to your friends, but really able to keep your eyes on your kiddo. I would imagine this is important to remember all year round, not just in pool season when we know the kids are going to be out there, that we need to be vigilant about it because there might be a neighbor that has a pool or a play date that has a pool, right? Absolutely. And at the end of the summer, I do feel like people are kind of fatigued and they've been watching their kids closely at the start of the summer. But that is often, you know, when they go for that one last pool party, one last swim, when we see things kind of things that are preventable happen, submersions. But you're right. As I said, a lot of drownings in the toddler age happen when people did not expect their child to have access to water. So it's important to have these layers of protection at all times. And that includes swim lessons as well. Dr. Lazarus, when we talk about prevention, what about things like ISR lessons? That's that very, and describe for listeners what that actually is and whether or not you think this is a really important tool. So ISR is a form of swim lessons that takes very young infants, usually under a year infants, who they will kind of put directly into the water for short periods of time, several days a week, to the point that they will be able to do survival skills in the water. So they'll be able to turn over, face up. They generally put them in both summer clothes and winter clothes so that they're sure that they're able to survive if they were to fall into the water. The American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend swim lessons starting at about a year of age, depending on when your child is developmentally able to participate in swim lessons, but the utility of ISR per the American Academy of Pediatrics, we're not really that clear about yet. I think the really important thing is, again, nothing is going to drown-proof your child. So swim lessons and ISR, those don't necessarily prevent your child from drowning. They aren't 100% effective. And even if you do ISR, which I'm not personally against ISR, I think it is good survival skills. It's important to keep those skills up because if you just do it one summer and then you let those skills go after a year and you don't put them in the water very frequently, those children will lose those skills and it's no longer preventative. It's no longer protective. So it is, I think, a great tool personally, although we don't have official recommendations about it yet, but I do think it's really important to realize it's not 100% effective and it's important to keep those swimming skills up after you do kind of a, an intense course like that. So what about when it comes to us as not just parents, but we're at a pool? If you see a drowning event, what should you do immediately? Well, 
you would definitely want to call for help, call 911, ask someone to call for help, make sure that the child has been pulled from the water. Your lifeguard is there truly just as a kind of emergency person. They really aren't there solely watching your child. So you do have to realize that as well. But the most important thing is preventatively like this, please learn CPR. There is no reason anyone can't do CPR. So even children as young as eight to 10 can learn CPR. And that can really save a life, whether it be from drowning, from a cardiac arrest, but you can go ahead and initiate CPR and you can save their life when you witness a drowning. You're never wrong to start it. We know that as an ER doctor, you do unfortunately see the worst of the worst. And I think many of us parents think, okay, if I'm out of the woods, if I have a 10-year-old or a teenager, I'm no longer in that vulnerable stage where my child might be drowning. But you've seen instances of teens coming in. So can you dispel that for parents and assure them that they need to be vigilant all throughout the years when it comes to their children? So teens are very high risk for drowning, but more associated with open water. So it's those kids that are going to the lake with some friends, those kids that are going to try some water sports. They are more likely to do some risky behavior. So you want to be very careful about talking to them about not diving off docks and not making poor decisions and always wearing a life jacket in open water. Because let's say they are jet skiing and they hit their head and they don't have a life jacket on, that is a horrible tragedy just waiting to happen. Right. And these are instances where a lot of times they're older. The parents aren't there. It's without the supervision. So it's talking to your kids about this. That's key. You know, I think many parents might think this would be a one-off concern. This is something that would be one in a million, but you actually have seen these types of injuries happen over and over again, right? Absolutely. Drowning is actually the leading cause of death in ages one through four. And it remains one of the top five causes in pretty much all ages. So it's something that we do see over and over during the summer. You know, it's something I brace for every Memorial Day weekend, July 4th, Labor Day. Anyone who works in the pediatric emergency room will tell you those are the days we're expecting these to come in and we're readying our trauma rooms and getting ready to resuscitate. Yeah, and it's even more common than we realize hearing that. Not just in summer months, I would imagine. Do you see this all year round? Yeah, unfortunately we do. So because infants are more likely to drown in in shallow bodies of water, such as bathtubs, this is something we do see all year round. And also kind of flanking the summer months when people are excited to get on vacation or go in an indoor pool or whatever, there's always bodies of water around. So you always want to have your guard up about to prevent these submersions. If you could say anything to parents out there across America, what would it be when it comes to water safety? There's no single way to make your child drown proof. There's no single way to prevent a drowning. That being said, we have many ways you can do it. And by using all the tools that we give you, such as Coast Guard approved life jackets, swim lessons, eyes reach and arms reach supervision, and God forbid CPR, you have the tools to save your child from a drowning. I just have one more question. I know Melissa talked about this, that she was expecting the worst news of, I don't know how to tell you this, which I'm sure there are times where you have to do that unthinkable moment of of sharing that news that a child didn't make it. But in her case, Josie made it. I would imagine this gives you such hope. And just describe for me being able to share with parents now 
how this is something that they can prevent so that you're giving the news to someone like Melissa that their daughter is going to survive this. Yeah. I mean, we, we, as ER doctors, pediatric emergency room physicians, we are haunted by the screams of parents who have lost their children from various factors and injury is the leading cause of death in all children. So to be able to tell a parent that they avoided this near catastrophe, that does bring us hope. Of course, we'd be even more hopeful if we never had to, you know, do x-rays on kids for submersions, but it, it is always better than the opposite of what we have to do. Yeah. And also information like this, information that parents today can take away from this podcast, layers of protection, vigilance all year round, CPR certification, Dr. Lazarus, such incredible information. Thanks for being with us. Of course. And thank you so much for sharing this important message. I want to give a big thank you to Melissa and Dr. Lazarus for coming on the show today, sharing their firsthand experiences and offering insight into the best ways to keep kids of all ages safe around the water. For more about this episode and our podcast content, visit choa.org slash podcasts. That's C-H-O-A dot org slash podcasts. I'm Lynn Smith, and this has been Hope and Will, a parenting podcast from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only. It is not to be considered medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgments when making recommendations for their patients. Patients in need of medical or behavioral advice should consult their family health care providers.